Good morning. It's good to be back here. It's 12 years ago we were here, and uh, most of you look the same. <laughs> but some of you, I won't say who, Malcolm, but some of you. No, we have all aged a little bit in 12 years, but it's really, really good to be back. And when we came, Judy and I came here 12 years ago, we lived in Sanford, Florida, and we ministered from there. Uh, but a few years ago, we moved to Alabama because our children, two, we have two sons and 12 grand, grandchildren. Uh, one has three and the other one has nine children, and we decided to be closer to where we are in the States because our ministry is still with NTM. I still call it NTM. It is our global fellowship of missionaries that serve around the world, and uh, our ministry is all overseas. So we, we travel extensively uh, in Asia, Africa, Latin America and Europe, and consequently, it doesn't matter where we live. We could live here and do it, or I could live in my own home country where I grew up in the Faroe Islands and do it, but that certainly wouldn't be practical. So we live up in Alabama and then travel from there, and consequently have never been back down this way and come to Florida once in a while, not even once a year. And it's just uh, good to be back, and thanks for the invitation to come and, and share it with you this morning. I sat here this morning at the early service, and I thought, why in the world did I come all the way down here to share anything with you guys? When I hear you men share the Word of God, you have so much to offer the assembly that I'm not sure that I can add much to it. But be that as it may, here I am, and you'll have to listen to me this morning. And uh, don't blame me. Blame the elders. They invited me. So, But it's good to be with you. And I was really glad to get in on the baby dedication or the parent dedication this morning. Uh, and I really appreciate what was said before it started, what it means and what it does not mean. And what the Lord laid on my heart to do had nothing to do with that. I didn't know this was going to happen. But my message this morning, the title is Going for Gold. No, I'm not talking about becoming rich. This is not a prosperity theology that I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking spiritually that we go for gold in terms of our, our walk with the Lord. That we aim for the best. That that's my prayer for these uh, young couples that were up here with their small child, that they were, will go for gold in their parenting, in their raising their children in a way that would honor the Lord and see the little ones on the right path for the rest of their lives. That is my hope and my, my prayer. My title this morning, or my text this morning, is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll come to that in a minute, okay? I won't read it right away. But there was a man well-known by the name of William Carey. William Carey. He was known as the father of modern, modern missions. He was born into a poor family, and he tried various things as he got older. He tried being a shoemaker, and it failed. He tried being a school teacher or running a school, and he failed miserably at that as well. He had no success in all of those things. Actually, his marriage relationship was pretty rough for him and his wife, and he even lost a daughter when she was, was young. Then he tried to be a pastor, but he was a poor preacher, and that didn't go either. In spite of that track record, he formed a missionary society, and he set sail for India many, many years ago. And in India, what did he do? He translated the word of God into a number of languages and was a great blessing. Actually, at one particular point in time, he lost 10 years of translation work. 
because of a fire. Ten years of working on translating the scriptures, and a fire destroyed it all. And of course he quit, right? No, he did not. Because he was going for gold. He was not going to, to quit. He started again. And he made great contributions in the area of literacy, agriculture, and many things. Actually, he impacted millions of lives. When someone, a supporter and a friend, wanted to write a book about William Carey, at the, at, as he came toward the end of his life, he asked for his permission to do it. And William Carey said, reluctantly said, yes, you can write about my life. But he said this, I want to give one criteria that will determine if the book that you write about me is accurate. And it's this. If the book you write about me describes me as simply being a plotter, the book is correct. In other words, if it describes me as one, one who is faithful to do what God puts on my heart to do, then it's correct. Don't go any further than that. And I thought about that sir, uh, particular story about him when I think about going for gold. William Carey certainly went for gold, not because he was flashy, not because he had such a great start, but he was faithful. He was a plotter. He kept at it even when there were setbacks. So with that story in mind, let's lo- turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24 through 27. These are familiar verses to probably most of us this morning, but I trust that God will give you some thought to take home with you to inspire, encourage you, and prod you on in being a plotter for the Lord where he places you. 1 Corinthians chapter one, chapter 9 verse 24 Paul is writing to the Corinthians, says, those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in, ga- in the games, that is the Olympic games, exercises control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not, without, with, as not beating the air. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that I, after having preached to others, I myself will, be, will not be disqualified. Let's pray, can we? Lord, we thank you for your word. And I just want to simply ask God that you would take me in that sense out of the picture and with your word minister to our hearts and needs this morning. I don't know what kind of concerns, burdens we carry what kind of uh, goals we have in life that are here this morning. But God, I just want to pray that for all of us, we'll be faithful to you and aim for gold in terms of being winners for you in the field that you asked us to serve you. So I ask you to bless the word this morning. Encourage our hearts. Help us to be a witness for you, you who loved us and gave yourself for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, a church with all kinds of problems, And he's encouraging them to run the race faithfully to the end. And I'm sure there were many who didn't do so well. They had their ups and downs and their struggles. We see that when we read the letter. And that would be true for, I believe, any congregation of believers wherever they are. That it doesn't always go well. I think many of us would agree with John Newton when John Newton said this. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I would like to be. I'm not what I hope to be, but I am not what I once was, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
I would concur with that. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and I want to do better in the days ahead. I want to be a plotter for the Lord where he places me. It was Winston Churchill who said this, success is never final, and failure is never fatal. The courage to continue is what counts. And that's what I want to encourage us with this morning, is the courage to continue in what God has put on our hearts to do. Failure is never final. Look at the man we read about. Lots of failures, lots of setbacks, lots of disappointments, but it didn't allow him to stop in pursuing the things that God had laid on his heart to do. Jonas Salk, who invented the cure for polio, and all of us would agree that he was a huge success, correct? But guess what? He failed 200 times in the attempt to come up with that. 200 times he tried to come up with a cure for polio, and he failed. He failed, he failed, he failed, he failed. How many of us will look at him as a failure today? None of us. We will say he was a huge success. And that's my point this morning. We all have setbacks. There are times it doesn't go exactly what we have hoped. And we, we fail. But let's be plotters for the Lord. Let's not give up. Let's be faithful to him. I was thinking about it when I saw the parents up here this morning. I hope that they will not give up. There will be disappointments with their little ones. I mean, my parents, we were six. I am sure they were often disappointed with this guy. I am serious. I like to try things. I grew up in an assembly, just like this one, just much bigger in numbers. I learned the word. I got saved when I was 13, and I, but I, I, wanted, I, wasn't, I wanted to try the world and stuff. They were often very, very disappointed, I am sure, in me. But they were faithful. They were faithful. They didn't give up on me when I disappointed them miserably. And that's my word to us this morning. Let's not give up on each other. I'm not just talking about these parents. All of us as members of the body of Christ. So it's with that in mind I want to encourage this morning. We will have setbacks. But folks, God is not finished with us. He is not finished with us. There's an African proverb that says this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I would suggest to you that we, as believers, need to learn to go together. We need one another. We need one another's encouragement. Or we may have our declaration of independence for America. We need to have a declaration of dependence on the Lord, first of all, but also that we can depend on one another to strengthen one another in the work that God has put before us. We need, I don't know about you, but I need encouragement. Uh, How many of you need a word of encouragement once in a while? Let me see. I know we are in a brethren assembly. Can you raise your hand anyway? <laughs> All of us need it, right? All of us need it. I do, and you do too. And the assembly is part of that. It's part of that venue we have where we can come and stimulate one another to good works. And I believe that's what Paul was talking about here. We all need us a word of encouragement. What did Mark Twain said? He said this, I can live on two, for two months 
on a good compliment. That might be true. He could live for two months on a good compliment. Sometimes a good compliment is what's needed. Oh, yes, we do need a rebuke one another once in a while. We need a correct one another for the word of encouragement. Let's go together, not alone, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. You probably won't go far. But if you want to go far, go together because we need one another. But let's look at the text. I want to look at three things in this text. There's one question. Clock. I can't see the clock, so I'm fine. <laughs> no, I do. That reminds me of something. In the, uh, we, my wife and I travel all the time in the Philippines. I speak in a fairly large church, actually. It has about 1,500 people in it. And, and so I'm up here in a pulpit in a platform, and there's a TV screen down the bottom. Okay? And as I start to speak, a number shows up on the screen. And the number is 30, okay? In green, bold letters, 30. As soon as I start speaking, you start counting down. <laughs> it does. 29, you should try that here. <laughs> 29, 28, all the way down to zero. Then it changes the color to red. One, one minute over, two minutes over. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be good to have it? No, no, don't do that. But I'll try to keep an eye on the clock this morning and not drag it out too long. But I want to think about three things. From this, a word of challenge to us that I see in this text, a word of caution to us in this particular text, but also a word about the confidence we can have as we see here. First of all, a word of challenge. I get the feeling that if Paul lived today, he might watch the Super Bowl tonight. He might read the sports pages if he lived today. Why do I say that? Because he uses so many analogies. When he's trying to teach the Word of God, he uses an analogy from the arena of sports of various kinds. And in this particular case, it had to do with the Olympic Games in, in Greece, right? As he writes to them. And the whole thing of those games, that if you were going to participate... It required a clear focus. It, it required not just that. It required a lot of discipline. And it required sacrifice as well. If you were going to participate. Now, I would never make it there. I am so out of shape, it's pathetic. Okay? But I see some of you guys that you obviously are doing more than just reading books like I do. It showed. Because you are disciplined to, whether you go to the gym, I don't know what you do, but... That's not me, okay? But if you're going to participate in those games, you better be ready physically to do it if you're going to win. And the reward was given in the arena where it took place, right? In front of everybody was recognized. But I would suggest to you that our reward for running this race that God has for us, it's not, doesn't show up in the arena. It starts with our hearts being right with him. It has to do with that. It has to do with us having our hearts right with the Lord. But notice what it says in verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says this, All run, but only how many? One receives the prize. Run in such a way. Wow, wait a minute. <laughs> so I'm going to compete with you, right? That says that all of us who are believers here this morning, we are all running this race, but only one of us is going to win. So we better start comparing one another, comparing 
between ourselves and compete. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. I don't believe that means that at all. What it means is this. We all run in this race, but only one kind of runner will win. And that's the one who runs by the rules and runs to the end, who doesn't quit, who's a plotter like we heard about our brother there. No, I don't believe that we should be competing with one another as believers. We don't have to do that. Not at all. There's no competition there, but we need to do the best that we can. My success as a Christian, yours as a believer, is not measured by how well you do compared to other brothers and sisters in the assembly. That's not the standard at all. But it's compared with the plan God has for you as an individual, as we'll see. Because God has a plan for all of us as individuals, and that's the standard that he will hold us to. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the race that's been set out before us, you as an individual. God has a race for you to run. It's a mother, maybe a father, a businessman, an elder in the assembly, a teacher of the word, a wit, whatever. But God has a race for all of us to run, and he wants us to run it well. There's a lady by the name of Georgina Johnson. She was 42 years old, and she was going to run, or she ran in the Cleveland Marathon. Many, this was many years ago. And she ran in this particular race by accident. She had signed up for a different race than the one she was participating in. She thought she had lined up for a 10K race, 10 kilometers. How many of you are runners here? Can I see? Nobody. Oh, my goodness. Nobody? No? Okay. Let's start tomorrow, okay? (laughs) No. I won't join you. I'll be gone. But she has signed up for a 10K race. I need that water. My throat gives me a problem. And when she got there, she discovered that she had signed up for one that was much longer. This is my better half, by the way, (laughs) who runs the race with me. Here she was, signed up, started to run the race that she thought it was going to be 10K, and it ended up being another... 32 kilometers further or something like that and she finished it in she finished it in four and a half hours or a little over four hours somebody asked her afterwards why did you do it why didn't you quit this is not what you were hoping for her response was this this is not the race I trained for this is not the race I expected to run in But for better or for worse, this is the race I was in, and I was going to run it to the end. And I wish I would have that mindset, that when God allows things into my life, even though I may not have wanted to do it or anticipated doing it, that I will be faithful to do what he puts before me. Judy and I, we were headed for Brazil as missionaries. This was back in 1960, what was that, eight? Yeah, that's how we met, by the way. Uh, I heard she had been in Brazil to visit her sister, who was a missionary down there, and I was a guy who had been, I had been in the States a year then, and my English was not very good at all, but I heard that the young lady had been down to Brazil to visit, we were in a similar, in a school, there were two schools in the same building, and I heard she had been there 
this lady. So I figured, well, I should find out more about Brazil. And so I found her. <coughs> and we started to talk about Brazil for five minutes. Then the conversation got more social, and we got start to date, okay? <laughs> well, we did come back to the Brazil issue, because that's where we were heading. Both of us were headed for Brazil. We knew that we were going to go to the Amazon area. We knew what tribe we were going to go to that had been determined. We already knew all of that. Guess what? We've been married 51 years now. We still have not made it to that tribe. (laughs) We have not. We have not. She just won't go. No, that's not the case at all. (laughs) What's my point? My point is this, that God had something else for us. We had another race in mind that we felt we wanted to do. God shut the door on that, opened some other doors for us to minister. And I'm saying that to you to say this. You might be involved in something right now that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or 5 years ago, or a year ago, you did not anticipate doing. My point is, if that's where God has you, go for gold. Don't worry about it. Don't complain about it. Do your best where you are. I believe that's what Paul is saying here. We should do just that and not give up. We may feel incompetent for it. I have many times felt incompetent in my particular ministry responsibility of being a a global leader for NTM. Really have. Big time felt like I'm out of my league. But now God has me there, and I need to be faithful to him to do what I can. I need to keep running and trust him. Hudson Taylor said this. He said, how often do we attempt work for God to the limit of our incompetence rather than the limit of his omnipotence. Oh, my goodness, if I had that mindset, it would make all the difference in the world because with God, some things are possible, right? Oh, no, 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 no. With God, what? All things are possible. And it was Tozer, A.W. Tozer, who said this, God has called us to do the impossible. (laughs) What a pity we settled to do for what we can do ourselves instead of just trusting God to do the amazing things that he can do in and through us. My encouragement to us this morning is this. My challenge to us is run the race that's been marked out for you. Whether you be young or old, it doesn't matter. I'm 73, okay? I don't know how many more years I have, but I want to keep running the race that God has marked out for me, and I want to run it well, and I would like to go for gold. And that's my prayer for all of us whether we be men or women here this morning, in leadership or not, doesn't make any difference whatsoever. All of us have an important part. But a word of caution to us. <clears throat> it's so easy for me, and maybe for all of us, to blame others for our lack of success, for the fact that it didn't go exactly the way I had hoped for, I had planned, and so I, I will blame. It could be my spouse, it could be my coworkers, it could be something else. And to, to take to heart here, the, the word that, that Robert Murray McShane said. Robert Murray McShane was a famous pastor in England many, many years ago. Well known today in Christian circles. If you're reading much, you'll have him quoted from time to time. He died when he was 29 years old. Think of it. He is still impacting the church today. Okay? 
He was a godly man, a godly pastor of his church. I can't remember what church it was. It doesn't make any difference. He said this. My church's, listen to this, my church's greatest need is my personal holiness. I wonder if I say that about New Tribes Mission that I'm part of. That the greatest need in the mission fellowship that I'm involved in giving leadership to, that the greatest need in our fellowship is my personal holiness? Or do I blame the missionaries that don't want to follow? Or do I blame this, that, or the other? What do you say when you talk about your assembly here? The greatest need in this assembly is... How many of us would say, my personal holiness? My point is this, to guard our hearts against blaming others for our lack of success. To blame others for what happens instead of taking to heart what God wants me to learn through what is happening. And you may feel like you're not able to run the race. And maybe you blame others, or maybe you just feel like I'm not competent to do it. I want to encourage you with a word from the Apostle Paul. He asked the question in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, about his ministry. Who is equal to this such a task? Who is competent to do this? And he answers it in chapter 3, verse 5. Our competence is from God. And it's wonderful to move forward as believers not knowing what the future holds and what challenges you and I will have this year, as we have started this new year, with the confidence that he, the Lord, is able to do exceeding abundantly way beyond what we ask or think. Jesus was with about 5,000 men and others, and they didn't have much bread, and, and just some bread and fish, right? And what does Jesus say to the disciples? Give them to eat. Give them something to eat. And of course they showed what they had, which wasn't very much. And they asked the question, what is this to so many? Have you ever felt that way? I tell you, this morning I feel that way, by the way. What do I have? What is this for this assembly that has men that can share the word like you do? But the Lord said this to them, to the disciples, what? Bring me the fish, and the bread, right? Bring it to me. And what happens? He blessed it. And some went back full, and some went back hungry, right? Is that what it says? No. They all went back full, satisfied. In fact, there were leftovers, because he blessed. And, and that's my point here this morning. If I have that right attitude, I realize... The problem is not other people, it's me. I, my relationship with the Lord is what I need to be worried about and concerned about. And when I do that and trust him, God is able to take the little I have to contribute, wherever it is, and make it a blessing to others. All of us have a part, by the way. All of us have a part in doing that. <clears throat> Recently, we were reminded <clears throat> of the story in Mark chapter 2 about the four men. Remember that? That they came with a paralyzed man to Jesus, and they came to this house, and what was it? It was full of people. They couldn't even get in the door. And that when I read that story, I heard about again, you know, I was reminded of again, it reminded me of our 
primary task as a church and as believers and as to bring others to Jesus, right? That's what it is. That's our primary task. But we do it in different ways. This morning, we brought some little babies to Jesus, right? Some children to Jesus by praying for them and for their parents. That's one way. Another way is to invite them to come to our meetings. Another way is to witness for the Lord. But our primary task is to bring people to Jesus, just like those four did. And by the way, it took teamwork. Those four of them. And they did it, but they couldn't get in. And whenever you start trying to bring other people to Jesus, don't be surprised by obstacles. They could have given up saying, this race is not going to work. We better turn around and go home. What do they do? They go up on the roof. They dig a hole, and they lower him down in front of Jesus. I get the sense, you know, here were two guys, four guys, they brought him, but they were not even there to see the action when he was healed. And sometimes that happens to you and me, that God asks us to pray for people and stuff and be involved, but we never actually is, are there when the action takes place, when God does the miracle. Let's not lose heart. Let's do our part in carrying that child, that person, to the Lord Jesus as we pray for one another. And I believe that's what the Lord wants us to do and to be faithful to do that. I believe that's what it's talking When it talks about us and our responsibility, it is that very thing. But so often when I think about my competence or my ability uh, that I question so often in terms of my ministry, what, am I up to this or not? I have failed in one area, and I'll admit it to you, and that's the fact. When I think about my skill or ability, I think in terms of my ability to do things. But I believe that the bigger one is the ability to love, like Christ loved. That I truly ask God to help me to be that kind of a person that I run the race well in loving others. And people may, that may not be so loving, that I don't neglect that. I read about something that happened in South Africa. I don't know how many of you have been in South Africa, been there a couple of times. But after the apartheid, <clears throat> a commission was set up to investigate the horrors of that time in South Africa. And so people were brought to court. And in this particular case, there was a hearing and a man, a policeman, was brought before the judge, okay? And he testified what he had done, how he had taken, and he had shot an 18-year-old boy and burned his body to destroy all evidence. And how that eight years later, he went back to the same place. And while this boy's mother watched, he took the dad and they fired some, put, poured some gasoline on him and set him on fire and killed him. The courtroom was absolutely silent, just like here this morning. When a judge asked her, she said, he said to her, <clears throat> what do you want from him, the policeman? And she said, sir, I would like for him to collect the dust from where he burned my husband's body so I can honor him with a proper burial. And the policeman, he couldn't even look up. He just nodded that he would do that. 
But then she added this. He took my family from me. But I still have love to give. I want him to know that I forgive him. So I would like to come up and embrace him to demonstrate for him who had killed her husband and son that my forgiveness is real. Needless to say, there was silence. And as she got up from her chair and started walking, everybody in the audience started to sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. As she walked up to embrace this guy. Well, guess what? He never heard the scene. He was so overwhelmed by that demonstration of love that he fainted right there in a courtroom. You know, I read that story and I thought, only God can do that. And so when I think about our capacity as believers, we focus so much on our ability to preach, our ability to teach, our ability to administrate, our ability to this, that, or the other. What about our ability to love and to forgive when people hurt us? It's easy to love the world, by the way. It's a different challenge to love the neighbor next door, right? It's a totally different thing. And we need to... There may be somebody in here this morning who feels that somebody hurt him in the assembly. And you have not forgiven them. My challenge to you is, that's part of running the race, is to learn to forgive. And by the way, for, when you forgive someone, you set a prisoner free. And that prisoner is you, who's forgiving. The chance for us to do just that. I believe Jesus was concerned about that and our capacity to love. When he said in John 13, he says, there's a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And I come back to the statement by Mary McShane when he said, my church's greatest need is my personal holiness. Maybe my church's ability, inability, to love as Christ loved. But part of running the race is not just what we do, but how we love one another. But let's come to the last thought I have here regarding this. And that's, to me, there's a word of confidence in all of this because God is still at work. It may look hopeless. It may look like, well, I'd never make it. This is, it's not just going to happen. But God is at work. He has not finished. We may have setbacks, like I said, but he's able And I'm thinking about what happened in in John chapter 11. Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. Our brother is dying. He's seriously ill. And they get word back from the Lord Jesus saying what? This sickness will not end in death. Can you imagine? Lazarus is dead in the front room. Imagine what they were thinking when they got word from him that is not under death. I think it was probably a little hard for them to believe that that actually was going to be the truth, but it was. And Judy and I read this particular thing, and we were reading a devotional together like we do every morning, and, and this guy was talking about the fact that in this particular lesson, or he talked about the fact of 
they were able to do what they did, and we are able to do the right thing when these things happen or come our way is because of if we know God's grammar rules. What do they mean? He means this, this. If we learn not or if we don't put a period where God puts a comma and the other comes after that, that we not put a comma where God puts a period. What do I mean by that? Don't put a period where God puts a comma. So often we interpret God's delay in answering our prayers as if it's over with. It's over. They thought it was over. He's dead. It's finished. But God may just have put a comma there. No, I am not done with it yet. A delay of answer from the Lord is not a sign of his indifference, right? It's really a sign of his love for us. And faith is all about how we live in the meantime, when you don't know for sure what's going to happen. In this particular case, Jesus was too late for a healing, but he was not too late for a resurrection. He was not. He was there on time for that. And so my word to you is this. Don't put a period where God has put a comma. You might have been trying to have a ministry with someone, and you're about to give up. You've been trying to get a relationship restored that was broken, and you're about to quit and put a period. It's over with. I give up. I can't do it. Please, don't put a period where God has put a comma. He is still at work. Be a William Carey. Be a plotter. Run the race to the end. But the other side of it is this. Don't put a comma where God puts a period. And when God says it's finished, it's finished. Remember what Jesus told the disciples that he was going to suffer and die in Matthew chapter 16? He was going to be killed and rise up on the third day. And what does Peter say to him? Lord, that's never going to happen to you. That's not going to happen to you. And he probably felt pretty good. He was protecting the Lord. He was very positive. He thought, this is an encouragement to the Lord Jesus when I tell him, this is not, they, they are not going to hurt you. They're not going to kill you. And I, I imagine that Peter was shocked when, when Jesus says to him, get behind me, who? Satan, right? What a shocker. You do not have the mind, have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And I'm just saying that to say this. There are times that God puts a period to some things that I might be doing, where he wants me to stop a particular activity, whatever it is. But I try to keep breathing life into it. I try to resurrect that particular thing. And the Lord said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Let it go. We might say in the assembly, well, we have always done it this way. We have always done it this way. Okay, that's fine. But does God want us to continue to do it this way? In your transmission, there were a number of things. I joined back in 1965. There was a number of things that were in place we were doing every day in terms of a multitude of things. And for a long time, the response was also always, when we talked about a change, we have always done it that way. And we recognize that we are not going to go anywhere if we do that. We need to realize there are times we should not try to breathe. Now, I'm not talking about sacrificing principles at all. That's not what I'm talking about here or compromising doctrine. But sometimes there are things we do as individuals or as groups that may not necessarily be thus says the Lord. But it's just the way we've always done it. To rather look at it in terms of is it relevant today. 
Remember Joshua and Judges? Samson killed how many men? One thousand. What was the weapon he used? Huh? A jawbone from a donkey. Let me ask you something. If you were Samson and you were able to defeat the enemy like that with a jawbone, what would you do with that jawbone? I know what I would do. Oh, yeah, I might hang it up on a wall so I could brag about it when people show, show up, maybe. No, I would have it ready for the next battle, right? I mean, after all, God used it in a terrific way. But you know what it says about Samson? What did he do with that jawbone? Do you know what he did? He threw it away, it says. I, my, I venture to guess that none of us would do that. But to me, that's always been a lesson to me. Only God may have blessed your ministry in this particular way when you did da-da-da-da. Be careful that your confidence is not in your methodology, but in the Lord. Let's trust him. Don't put a period where God puts a comma and don't put a comma where God puts a period. He will allow challenges to come our way and I see my time is up. But I believe he does that to increase our dependence on him. The well-known movie, Ben-Hur, Charleston Heston was the actor, particular, the star of that particular movie. And toward the end of that movie, the, the producer wanted him to learn how to drive one of those chariots. And he had never done it before, and he wasn't sure he was going to be able to do that. But the producer really wanted him to run the chariot at the end of the thing. And finally, Charlton Heston said to his uh, producer, he says, I'm willing to do it, he says. I can drive the chariot, but I'm not sure I can win the race. To which the producer responded, Heston, you just stay in the race, and I will make sure you win. And you may feel like you are not able to win in this race you're in. Can I encourage you? Stay in the race. Be faithful to him. And he is the one. God is the one who will enable you to win. And that's my message to us this morning. Go for gold. Go for gold in the race that God has marked out for you. And he has a race for all of us to run, everyone in this room. Run it by the rules and the principles that God has given in his word and run it faithfully to the end. Let's pray for one another that we'll do that. I would ask you to pray for Julie and I that we will run the race well, faithfully to the end so that one day when we see him, we can hear the well done, thou good faithful servant. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for these dear friends and brothers and sisters that are here this morning, and I pray that you would encourage us to run the race that you have set before us, and we do it faithfully, Lord. And if there's somebody in this room this morning that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior, that they will come to realize what they're missing out on in not walking with you, knowing you, and walking with you 
and seeing you do incredible things in them and through them by your grace and your spirit. And I just want to pray that if there's such a person here this morning that they will uh, recognize their need of a Savior and find someone here who can share the gospel clearly that the work of the cross is finished, that our sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord of my soul. We do not have to carry our sin because you took it to the cross and we thank you for that this morning. So we thank you, Lord, for the fact that we are members of the family of God and, Lord, we don't need to go forward alone but together so we can finish well. I just want to pray for this assembly that you'll continue to bless the leadership as they provide a godly oversight of the assembly that you continue to bless and people coming to know you and your body of believers here being strengthened in the faith and faithful in the walk with you. Thank you for our time together this morning and we pray again that you'll bless those families that were here with their small children this morning and dedicated them to you and dedicated themselves as couples. And I pray your blessing on them in a very special way too. In Jesus' name, amen.